talking logistics, man. Ready to talk logistics? But how? It can't be done. We should probably figure out some logistics. In e-commerce as a whole, um, holidays used to start at about the first week of November. That's when you started to see the gifting process. I would say at this point, it's the second week of October. That's Caitlin Coughlin, Global Director of E-commerce at The Cookware Company. The Cookware Company is a global cookware manufacturer with a worldwide brand presence. Caitlin began her career as a buyer for brands such as Party City, Liberty Media, and Toys R Us. Following that, she joined Amazon as a vendor manager managing the P&L and determining the strategic direction of the toys category. In 2017, she joined the cookware company. On today's episode, Caitlin and I discuss how to achieve ownership over your supply chain, making sure you never run out of stock, and the changes she's seen around peak season. With peak right around the corner, I think this episode is a great way for us to celebrate. I'm your host, Alex Kent, Director of Sales at Stored, and this is Supply Chain Therapy. All right, I'm here today with Caitlin Coglin, Global Director of E-Commerce at The Cookware Company. Caitlin, thanks for coming on the show. Excited for the conversation today. First off, how are you doing? How's life in uh, in New York City? I'm good. It's fall. It's busy again in New York, so it's it's really good to be back in New York City when it's like this. How about you? <laughs> I'm I'm doing well. It's uh, it should be fall, but it's 90 degrees here in Atlanta, Georgia. So that's about what we get. <laughs> um, anyway, let, let's go ahead and dive right in. At, you know, doing some research on Cookware Company prior to this conversation. Really interesting brand. So in 60 seconds or less, tell me, you know, what is the Cookware Company? What makes up the Cookware Company? Sure. Well, the Cookware Company is just an umbrella name. Um, we have multiple brands um, under this umbrella. The main one being Green Pan. We also have Green Life, uh, Merton & Stork, Blue Diamond, and a few others. Um, the cookware company came to be as we're really trying to change the way people cook. Um, we started in 2007, and we've really redefined what nonstick means by really being able to educate the consumers on the effects of PTFE and PFAS. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditional nonstick, which a lot of people actually don't know, is plastic. Um, That's what people have cooked on forever. The cookware industry hasn't really changed much. And there's been major environmental issues um, in a negative way that come from these forever chemicals that not so many people really know about. So we've committed with cookware to changing the recipe, uh, the unhealthy cycle. We have 150 patents um, in technology advancements to make cooking easier and really be that leader in healthy nonstick cooking. So what's what's the biggest difference between your nonstick pan and and you know the the general nonstick? It's really going to be the coating. Um, yeah. We have a patent on our ceramic nonstick uh, thermalon coating that does not release these harmful chemicals, which are the PTFEs, the PFAS, the PF, PFOAs of the world. There's been a lot of movies, documentaries that have come out in the last few years on Netflix. Even there was a movie called Dark Waters. I think it is. I might say it wrong, (laughs) but it really goes into really this effect that's only truly now starting to be front and center in in legal regulations. It's Mm -hmm. it's bigger in places like California and Maine. But I think over the next few years, you'll really start to see it be a bigger topic for the entire country, the entire globe. 
Interesting. As a novice cook myself, I've never honestly <laughs> thought about the pan that I'm cooking on. And I say novice because that's that's truly what I am. But uh, I can fry an egg. Anyway, uh, <laughs> talking about the cookware company's supply chain specific, right here on supply mm-hmm. chain therapy. You know what makes your strategy unique? What what kind of you know makes the cookware company stand out? Yeah, I think within the cookware industry and probably a lot of industries with bigger brands that are kind of coming about, our biggest difference is that we own our factories. We have factories Mm. in China. We have factories in Italy, Germany, Korea. I think I said China, but we also have offices in all of these countries, plus more Australia, uh, India, Canada. So having that full end-to-end ownership over that supply chain, we are able to have a really close relationship, not only with our factories and the people in between, but also our vendors and really being able to maximize that collaboration and individualize the process of everything from production to transportation to ports and being able to be transparent where not a lot of other people can. I think yeah. that's definitely our, our strategy. I mean, let's let's talk about that a little bit because transparency in the supply chain is is a, a topic that, you know, has come up over the past, especially 36 months as, as supply chain has been more in the news, which we talk a lot about on this podcast. But, you know, what does that mean mm-hmm. to be to have a transparent supply chain, not only with your partners, with your manufacturing, with your vendors, but, you know, overall to your brand? I think it's changed a bit in the last few months, even years. I think that People are more aware of the costs that go into not only the product, but what now has to happen in terms of containers and actually attaining those. I think in the past also, I've kind of always been in the hard lines categories. Um, It was, I order, I get it 100 days max later, no matter where it is in the world, no matter where it is. And that's really Mm -hmm. not the case anymore. And I think there's a lot of yes vendors at this point. Um, There's a lot of people wanting to fill shelves and just being honest and upfront of like, here's where it actually sits. I think... Transparency is a bit tough because you never really know when something's going to get checked in. Nobody really knows where something is in partnership. But I think that sharing more data has definitely been where we've won. Um, Biggest person we've shared data with is Amazon. And sometimes that can honestly be a bit scary. Right. But working with their transportation teams, even down to the item level of like this product got dropped off here at this box by this driver, they appreciate that. And I think they're open to giving data back to help us even get product there faster. And and diving even deeper because I'm already interested. But you know, what data are you sharing? That you know, it's, obviously there's there's things you want to share. There's things you don't want to share, right? For Especially sure. with someone like mm-hmm. Amazon. But you know, what are they looking for that makes that transparent and, and makes that partnership even stronger? I think the interesting part is that as big as they are, the biggest, mm-hmm. they want to know down to the minute level of how long was a truck sitting at the dock? How many boxes went in? What were in those boxes? How Did the driver stay for two minutes and then leave? Where do you get your trucks from? What carriers? The data that we're willing to share, like you said, are those things that are going to help us globally because... If you have a trucking company, they're not just picking up Amazon product. They're not just picking up Williams-Sonoma product. They're picking up, sometimes they send one truck for the day and that's it. And we kind of have to work, I don't want to say globally, but kind of as a team all together to kind of put the pieces together. And we've seen vendors and partners like Amazon be more and more open. So I think it's down to those very bottom details that are helping us a bit. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I saw online that the your, your brand cookware was Amazon Home Vendor of the Year a couple years back. What is it like developing a strategy specific to Amazon? I know you've spent time there as well in, in a previous life um, versus, you know, the other brands or, or retailers that you're working with. Amazon's really tricky. I think I do benefit from coming from Amazon into this role. I can kind of figure out things a bit different. Um, they changed their mind every single day, every single week, every <laughs> we, single we, month. We all do though, right? <laughs> True, but I feel like they're a bit trickier. An example being in this, I would say three month span, um, they've gone from what they're calling the just in case model, which was mm-hmm. quarantine model. Nobody had stock. They were the ones you could go to, to the just in time model. What that means is in person, they said to us, we want to have eight weeks of supply on any product, no matter what. They want to be the person you go to, the biggest assortment, all your catalog. Now they only want two weeks of supply. And that is tough when you're dealing with port delays, you're dealing with transportation trucking delays, you're dealing with hiring employees to be in the warehouse. And that's really difficult. So that's just one example of something that's come up dealing with an Amazon of the world. And like I said, it's the data that's really, really gotten us there. Mm-hmm. It's pretty tricky. And even even then with the switch to, you know, two weeks of inventory in the Amazon mm-hmm. network, we'll call it. I mean, you you have to have that two weeks because if you don't, your marketing team, you know, you're falling on the on the ranking page, right? Um, exactly. For Amazon web searches. So you're working with the marketing team and, and developing the strategy around that to, to keep your spot on the on the top page, right? Yeah, I would say it's not even just that. The Amazon algorithm to being a winning product or a winning brand doesn't just include ranking. Well, the, what goes into the ranking is your pricing, the amount of inventory, the reviews, the amount of marketing, the amount of SEO. So mm-hmm. you have to then think about, I have somebody on my team who does content. I have somebody on my team who does marketing specific to Amazon. I have somebody on my team who's managing the flows of the orders. And if one thing goes off from there, they're essentially just kind of holding up the rest of it. And it's really hard to determine a priority because your top collection may just be sitting on a dock somewhere. Right. And an Amazon dock, for that matter, we've seen lead times for them even go up plus 20 days that it's really difficult to make those big decisions on a key number one driver that that's never really been like that before. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious too, you know, you're talking about how your team manages, you know, content, manages some of the marketing. What aspect of of new product development and product creation is, you know, in your role and and how much of a say do you have in in that? Coming from Amazon, what I really, truly love about this company is not that we're educating people on possible harmful toxins, but I have a huge part in what products we create, the colors, the handles, the materials, new development. Um, Amazon and a lot of these other e-commerce partners that we have don't necessarily share the data. And it's really interesting to me to kind of dig into that NPD data and to discover what's Mm -hmm. working and being able to test these new products for an entire company essentially to see if it works or not. And truly in the past, Amazon themselves and We've used this as a testing ground. And Amazon would say to you, it takes six months for something to be at its peak. Then you'll know what it's kind of leveled out places. But with the amount of new customers, which is crazy as that is, um, you can really see if a product works in two to three months. So you can then make decisions for the rest of your business based on certain demographic at a certain point in time. But Amazon kind of is everybody at this point. So we really use it as a testing ground for not only our 
product development, but also our supply chain in, in numbers and production. And a, a huge benefit of that, you know, being able to test new products has to be owning your own manufacturing because then you can kind of, you, you know, you're looking at it as, oh, we're going to try this out and we're going to own it. We don't have to go find, you know, new vendors necessarily. Maybe you're looking at new materials vendors, but you're not looking at a new manufacturer every single time, right? Exactly. Yes. We've definitely even gone into different spaces and that's why we have factories in Germany and Italy, et cetera, so that we can continue to increase our depth and assortment of what we can provide ourselves. How many new products are you adding a year? <sighs> I would say I'm going to give you a percentage because okay. data. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> I would say we increased our catalog by about 50% year over year. Wow. Um, we've gotten into new categories such as electrics and tools and really being able to put this non-toxic coating on many new categories has allowed us to expand that education and where our customer comes back to us. Yeah, I, I think I saw one of the the newer brands is it, I'll call it a panini press type, non-stick panini press. I don't know the name off the top of my head. You'll have to save me here. It is. <laughs> we have a waffle maker. We have a panini press. We have anything you can think of. So All right, I'm, yeah, we I'm, recently launched that at <laughs> Williams-Sonoma and it's, it's been a really big success. It's, it's definitely awesome. new to us, but it's exciting. This Halloween season, read something truly terrifying. Scary supply chain stories to tell in the dark features real stories from logistic nightmares that could happen to you. Snag your copy at stored.link scary to protect your supply chain from all manner of ghosts and ghouls. <laughs> Let's move on to the next segment, um, talking about challenges. Houston, we have a problem. As someone who's leading the e-commerce and growth strategy for, for a brand that is continuing to grow you know, year over year, what are the biggest challenges you're facing day to day in regards to the supply chain as a whole? Not just specific to Amazon, because um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about that, but just <laughs> as a whole for, for all of the brands that you guys are operating. Yeah, I would say I've touched on a bit here and there, but really the amount of trucks and boxes and human resource that you essentially need. We've gone from three different warehouses sizes in a year. We've outgrown that. I think the great part about our company is the growth. That's mm -hmm. love that. But you also have to keep up with all of that in between. So it's warehouse space. It's the people working in the warehouse. It's the amount of requested trucks and the people who are scheduling said trucks. And then it's combining all of that data. When you grow that quickly, it's also maintaining everybody's happiness, obviously, and being able to balance work and life. But when you're having to schedule that many trucks and that many new pickups to that many new customers, even to your point, it's not just Amazon. We're adding new customers and new product. Mm -hmm. It makes it a bit tricky. Um, I think that the port delays, while they've calmed a bit, when you're shipping more containers at a way more expensive price also has calmed down a bit. It makes things a bit trickier to also determine your P&L when you're paying for $20,000 yeah. containers at a certain point in time. That's a that's a big change in the way that you do business. Obviously, our number one goal is to fill orders and to get the product to the consumer, but we have to it's hard to work backwards when things are so volatile in the market at this point. 
What did, what would you say is kind of the, okay, Caitlin wakes up in the morning. She wants to get a, a grasp of her supply chain. What are some of the metrics you're looking at from the previous day or previous week or, or month over month? You know, what's important to you and in, in your decision making? Most important to me is weeks of supply at the vendor. I want to make sure that we are never out of stock. There's been a lot of empty shelves in retailers mm-hmm. like Walmart. Um, there's places where we can fit in. We, with the growth, the worst thing that we could do to ourselves is not be present for the consumer who during quarantine was at a home. What are you doing at home? You're cooking. We want to be there yep. to support them. And it kind of backs into having that week's of supply, week's of cover at that said retailer at any point in time. I would also say I'm looking globally. So it's yeah. not just within the US. It's also looking to what the economy is doing in certain markets. Obviously, I'm not going to wake up and look at that every day, but <laughs> it's also a trend based of like, where are people shopping? Where are people looking? Where are we not at this point? Trying to figure out, you know, where is the consumer and how can we get in front of them even more to, to continue the growth pattern that you guys have been on? I'm curious because you brought it up, right? I mean, my wife and I started cooking a ton uh, during the pandemic mm-hmm. because that was our option and we're not the only mm-hmm. ones. I mean, what was the growth year over year, you know, from the pandemic? Are you able to share that? I cannot share that. What okay. I would say is we saw a huge shift towards e-commerce within that time frame. Yeah. We also saw a huge increase. If you were to look at NPD data, which is public information, paid public information, you would see that our brands combined together outperformed anybody else essentially on the market. I think there was a need to be healthy while in quarantine. Um, I think there were some difficulties, though. Um, people became entry-level chefs, if you would, to (laughs) intermediate chefs. So what we're seeing now is actually people are willing to pay more. They're looking for more niche products. So this is, again, part of the supply chain is how many people then went from not cooking ever, ordering food every single day to now being a pretty expert chef that's ready to take the next step. Are we going to now kind of shift who our demographic is, shift where the price point is? Like, when will things revert? So that's a bit tricky to predict and cookware is something that you kind of have to test and see. Yeah. <laughs> when I first started here, I was definitely, I order delivery food most nights. So I was kind <laughs> of like, oh, so you can't just test it and return it. It's not like a piece of clothes. So it's, it's pretty tricky. What's the biggest focus right now going into uh, to peak season here in Q4? I mean, I think just having a range of product. Um, we've also mentioned this, getting product checked in. We work mm-hmm. far in advance. We've expanded our forecasts far further than I've ever seen, but I don't, I still don't think it's far enough yet based on things really, truly not changing uh, at the ports. I think you can get product here, but it's really kind of an open-ended question. I think that we have key products. We have huge launches. We just launched two new collections, which is amazing. We're about to hit peak. I think the biggest change we've also seen is in e-commerce as a whole, um, holidays used to start at about the first week of November. That's when you started yep. to see the gifting process. I would say at this point, it's the second week of October. I think that's yeah. where we really start to see that trend hit. There is a second prime day that will probably occur way earlier than everybody thinks, is my guess. Yep. Um, I don't think anybody's prepared for that to happen. I, I think it'll affect long-term of people buying gifts in October. And it will be interesting to see then what happens in December. Um, January is another big month for us. It's the new year, new you, healthy cooking. Of course. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's when mostly people. So I think it'll be an interesting trend to see if there's a shift out of December into October. 
on these big holidays. That's interesting. I've never really thought about it, but but you bring up a good point. So your peak is really October to the end of January because you've got New Year's resolutions and, oh, I'm going to cook every mm-hmm. meal at home and I'm going to use you know my own cookware. And, and so your peak is more extended than, say, an apparel brand or um, you know a normal retailer, right? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty interesting for us to see. We definitely have a peak period, but there's you don't see it as much as some people do. I, I worked in toys and there was definitely that peak. It's not as big of a spike in those in those peak months. But yes, it definitely goes even through February, I'd say. Oh, man. For our consumer. Moving on to the next segment, the venting couch. Little so talk, me vent. Come on, vent. Go ahead, vent. I just needed to vent. Why don't you vent? Vent your frustrations. As we sit here and talk about peak, you know, we've all had traumatic experiences when it comes to the logistics and supply chain. Doesn't have to be that way. If you're ready to heal your relationship with your supply chain, check out store.com to learn more. All right, Caitlin, this is the the question that we always ask on this podcast and um, our listeners love it. So what's the craziest story from your career that you want to vent about in regards to the supply chain today? So it relates pretty closely to supply chain, but there's some fun facts in there. So when I worked at Amazon, which I'm allowed to say this, (laughs) no big deal. Um, When I first went to Amazon, I was given the Star Wars category, which I had never seen one Star Wars movie in my life. And they handed it to me. Hand up. Here you go. Hand up. Never seen them. Never seen them. (laughs) Still. I have now. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. Yeah, it. And I was given, I was in the toys category. I had to buy for peak supply chain coming out of China. And they were like, order all of these collectibles for Q4 for there was a new movie coming out at the time. And I honestly ordered, I did my research. I like watched the movie, but like that's a category where you, you got to know yourself. I of course. Like picked the cutest one and I was like, this looks nice. Flew through everything in two seconds. It was supply chain madness because you can't just go back to creating these intricate collectibles from China to get to Amazon in a month. Um, it was interesting working with the person. I'm not going to name the company's name. They're a very big company. Yep. Um, they don't work that fast. A lot of these companies can't turn that around. It's it's a year in advance. So that was definitely a glance into why you should plan a lot further in advance than that. But that's, yeah, I mean, not so supply chain, but terrifying. So (laughs) you said you picked the cutest one. It had to be the baby Yoda, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the number one, but they were like... I've never seen him, but I know who. Yeah, I've never seen him, but I know who Baby Yoda is. I I am on the internet. Oh man! All right. Um, (laughs) Moving on. Let's talk a little bit about the future. We talked about how you're getting ready for for Q4 and how the metric that you look at uh, really is, you know, weeks of supply and how much supply do we have? Are we going to be just in time? Are we going to be just in case? What kind of model are we running? What do our retail partners want to see? How much inventory can they hold? But what else are you looking at? I mean, you know, if that's number one, what else is, is important as you get ready for Q4 and, you know, your extended peak season? Yeah, I would say also the quickness in a different way than what you mentioned before, the quickness at which you can get things out the door. I think that we saw this last year. I think we'll still see it this year in that retailers react a lot quicker, which isn't a bad thing. They'll send you purchase orders overnight and expect them the next weekend. With the amount of warehouse space that's needed, it's it's also making sure that your warehouse partners, that 
sometimes we don't necessarily talk to on a daily basis or a detail of a basis are aware of your priorities. So the metrics, I guess, associated with that would be would be lead times. I think mm-hmm. lead times getting things out the door, making sure that they're expedited so that the customer could even get them faster. I think if you're able to update upgrade that to an additional 24 hours out the door, an additional hour out the door, you're you're beating out your competition. So I mean, the worst thing you could do is have products sitting in a warehouse and not at the retailer for the customer. So I think that we're luckily in a really good place. I think we'll have a really good holiday season, but it's definitely getting it to those those vendors. Yeah. And I think of that, you know, you mentioned warehouse partners and, and just aligning on on your expectations, right? At, at, you know, at Stored, we think of it as, okay, this is, you know, we're in a partnership together and, and we have mm-hmm. to set the right expectations with our customers. Um, and But, you know, they have their expectation. You have to be able to talk about those and, and communicate uh, with your warehouse partners for things like labor, right? I mean, labor is going to be mm-hmm. tighter than ever in Q4 as we come up on, uh, on peak. And, you know, getting those orders out the door is going to help you guys be successful. So, um, you know, having that open communication and setting up those QBRs or MBRs uh, to, to have those expectation setting calls is so important. I guess what one other thing, you know, what's the what's the one thing that keeps you up at night in, in regards to peak season and, um, you know, the biggest worry? Oh, the biggest thing that keeps me up at night, I think there just can be so many spikes. Um, last year, we saw a pink collection, love pink, still around. But one thing can take off. I mean, we have things like social media at this point that we do drop shipping, we do D to C, we have mm-hmm. multiple drop ship through other retailers. If something is to spike overnight, again, not a bad thing. We love the orders. However, it can essentially kind of shut down where we are if we're not set up correctly. Um, and then kind of how do you recover, especially in Q4 to kind of backtrack and get all of those things out the door. So fear maybe, but excited. <laughs> Fear that the brand grows too much and people love your products too much, right? That is the that is the life of of an e-commerce director and um, any supply chain leader is. Uh oh, what if everyone we likes had, us too much? <laughs> I mean, example being, we have an electrics item uh, within one of our brands that we did a slight discount on, and I guess the right time, the right place in the market and sold through everything. It, it was so quick that like nobody even picked up on the spike and we sold through everything. And I was like, we've sold very few of these in the last day. Yeah. And like now it's all gone. And now we're like, well, now what? Like there's no way to now get it back for Q4. Again, not a bad thing. Moving past Q4, what is what does the supply chain look like in, in 2030, right? I mean, eight years out from now, what are we going to be talking about? Yeah, I'm really curious. I mean, I, it's interesting to me that a lot of retailers have not upgraded their proficiencies or the way that they do business from getting product in, whether it's DI or domestic, to the way that they store it. I would hope, <laughs> I want to say drones, that would be great, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would hope that there's a better, faster, more data-driven way to really work with these carriers without monopolizing the business, without driving prices up, um, making it as easy as it is for a big company to get product through the port that it is for a small business. Um, not really sure how that would occur, but I think I think there's ways to get there. There is so much technology being developed uh, right now mm-hmm. that, you know, 
who knows what's going to be in 2030. We're making, you know, I think when the pandemic happened, they, everyone was like, oh, we we crunched, you know, 20 years of, of supply chain innovation and technology into about six months. And, and we're really focusing on what we opened the conversation with, with transparency and, and visibility. And, you know, how can we understand more of the dynamics that are going into getting that container, getting that container onto a ship, not just the product in the container, getting that, you know, all of the things, getting it through the port, right? Because if it gets stuck in customs, you know, you're having your weeks of supply metric that you look at every day is, is being affected by that. I would say another example of this is we had a really, we were on a list, a very famous list for our a launch last Q4 and the product was, it was stuck. I think that was when it was at its worst, when they were just out of the port of California anywhere, it was just kind of stuck. And I just kept telling the vendors like, this person is very famous and even she cannot bring in the containers off of the boats. Like it's actually impossible. Like I wish she could call in a favor, but she cannot, it won't do anything. Oh, I think I know what list you're, you're talking about. (laughs) Very famous list. That that is awesome. (laughs) Can we say it? I, yeah, it was Oprah. Yeah, but. it was Oprah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you it, said it, it was a happened. list and famous list. I was like, I don't know if we can say that. <laughs> we were, yeah. It already happened last year. We were on the list. So, um, yeah, I was like, as much as Oprah can't even go out to the ports and get things checked in, it's, it's pretty impossible. Well, so. What does that look like? I mean, do you have, as a, you know, e-commerce director, do you have a lead time and be like, hey, we're going to be on Oprah's list and this thing's about to take off? Like, do they give you a heads up or is it kind of just one of those spikes that you stay up at night thinking about? stay up at night thinking about it but I mean you have some time but there's so even if you prepped it last year it was six months in advance it was still like it could be off a boat tomorrow or it could be off a boat in two months um we did actually decide to take pre-orders which was helpful um that definitely gave us kind of a a glance what we could expect when they got checked in so if you have that ability obviously it's a lot easier but yeah awesome that's crazy I didn't know man Oprah's list that's awesome Mm -hmm. For the listeners at home, if you're not aware of Oprah's favorite things list, um, I don't know where you've been, but check out the cookware company on on that list from uh, 2021. All right. We do have to wrap up. Um, we're going to wrap up with some quick hitters. What's your favorite hobby outside of your day job? I mean, it kind of relates, but I love trying new restaurants. Travel kind of goes hand in hand, but I'm in New York City. There's unlimited That's supply right. of new restaurants to try. So I, I do cook at home with our cookware. Well, However, that, that, I do like to go out to eat. That was my next question is what was the last <laughs> meal you made? Um, A grilled cheese, literally. Grilled cheese <laughs> on, a, on a cookware company? <laughs> on a cookware company pan. Of course. You need very little oil, very little butter. So slid right off. It's that's, perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. What is the uh, the biggest misconception around the supply chain? I think we've spoke about it, not just with Oprah, but the transparency. I think that people, uh, retailers think that we can see things they can't. I think that people think that you can see when something's on a boat, when it's going to show up, uh, where the truck is. I think it's tough. I think it's a lot harder than people may think to really track down almost an outdated way of doing this. That's right. Yeah, it is incredibly tough. Uh, What was the last thing you bought online? Um, I actually just purchased sheets off of Amazon that somebody told me were the softest sheets in the entire world (laughs) that have like 150,000 reviews that I'm super curious. So you haven't gotten them yet? I haven't got I haven't gotten them yet. Oh, that must have been a this morning purchase if you're in New York and haven't gotten it yet. (laughs) 
Uh, that's prime is not prime anymore. So <laughs> it's not necessarily two days, even in New York City. So it's been a few days. What's the best professional advice you, you've ever received? I think it, it, it's been a recent conversation I had with one of my executives, just that the way to inspire people is to motivate people. And that doesn't just go for people who are in a corporate office. It goes um, from somebody who's working in a warehouse to somebody who's creating the schedule of pickups. I think just motivating people. And I think it's really easy at a company like the Cookware Company because we are really helping people understand the positive impact that uh, these chemicals not being in your pan can have. So motivation. That is awesome. That is awesome. All right. Last question here for me. Um, If folks want to reach you and and get to know Caitlin a little bit, what's the best way to do that? Best way would be on LinkedIn, Caitlin Coughlin. Awesome. At the Cookware Company. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Caitlin, that's a wrap. Um, Best of luck during peak season. I know you guys are going to crush it and uh, really appreciate you you joining us today on Supply Chain Therapy. Thank you. Know anyone who needs Stored's help? We have a new referral program where you could earn $5,000. Go to stored.link slash referral to submit and learn more. Thanks for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to stored.com to learn more.